0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What a beautiful break that was from Derby County. And one chop treated Manchester United's defence with absolute contempt. And a chance for Maria once more.
1: unmistakable sound of a packed Pride Park in full voice there, defiantly loud, undeniably proud on an historic day where a whole community came together to march, to sing, to support as Derby County still stare into oblivion. You're listening to Steve Washing the Derby County podcast. After a fortnight wish pushed all of us to the very edge, we're into the end game now the biggest crisis in Derby County's history and answers or progress are still in short supply. A month-long reprieve has bought our club more time to escape the unthinkable but those who hold the power continue to toy with Derby's future meaning February will feel like a month on death row for supporters like us who have been here for decades and who will be Derby until we die. The players and fans were at their absolute best today with the club at its worst. Black and white everywhere before the game and a full house as a Christian Bielek 96th minute overhead kick salvaged a 2-2 draw with Birmingham City. You wouldn't think we were at our lowest ebb judging by the magnificent dedication of the team and the fan base in recent weeks. Joining me, Chris Parsons, to reflect on Birmingham, administration, and the meaning of life are uh, Richard Kutcher. For only the second time in our five-year podcast history, we're recording this episode in
2: a car.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Can you explain?
2: Yeah, we're in a car, charging it up in the Darbyon, I believe it's now called. Uh, discovered a supercharger here, so we're, pl- we're plugged in. Otherwise, we were going to run out of gas on the way home or electricity and um, very excited to be doing so before another three hour drive back to London.
1: And this is dedication week that we
0: bring to this uh, (laughs) to to this podcast that we've done now. Uh, Tom Martin's here as well. You're our mate. Very, very, very good, Chris. Actually, having had that uh, fantastic celebration, and I'm um, now very delighted to be sitting in the car with you in a shopping centre. There's, no way, you'd <laughs> bra- there's no
1: way you'd rather be than the fourth level of the Darbian <laughs> shovelling down some fish and chips before our long drive back to South London. And uh, also joining us is another lifelong Ram making his debut on the pod, and not just because we're giving him a lift home. It's James Wendell. Here I right, mate very good, it's been an emotional roller coaster of a
3: day but you know very excited to be in a Tesla <laughs> and we live to fight another day.
1: Other electric vehicles are available, um, don't forget as well that Steve Bloomer's Washing is partnered for this season with Derby Brewing Company, we're in the house of the game uh, having a few celebrate well celebratory <laughs> jars with some of our fantastic patrons having a, a great night and it was uh, a great venue to be in um, but well Derby County 2, Birmingham City 2. I think it's fair to say, Kutch, after 65, 70 minutes or so, um, where we probably could have been about 4-0 down, I think, in, in all honesty, we would have definitely taken a draw. But just tell us how you reacted when the Polish prince arched his right foot and scissored that spectacular equaliser into the bottom corner after 95 plus a few seconds in front of the South Stand?
2: Yeah, I think it's immediately gone up to probably top three moments as a Derby County fan in my life, uh, <laughs> particularly with all the emotion that came with it. The, 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 kind of the scenes before the match, I was in tears uh, watching Jamie do his poem and the fans at the very start of the game, I thought to see the ground fill almost at quarter past one was incredible, but the beelit bicycle, as I'm calling it, was i i you guys didn't seem to know what quite happened when it went in i thought steaming had scored. tom yeah you thought steaming had scored. tom was celebrating with some random people over to his right chris was celebrating with his, some random people over to his left and i was running back and forth between you just shouting belit bicycle Beelit bicycle Beelit bicycle and and then then obviously we'll come on to it we beat it was then down and we all feared the worst on that front but in terms of moments in terms of a last minute winner or a last minute equalizer i don't think it I, I can't... Right now, I'm struggling to think of another moment of packed with that much emotion. I'm, I'm not going to lie, I was chatting to the guy behind me for most of the second half,
0: and it's just like, he was like, poor game in the first half, we didn't look like we were mat- passing the ball fast enough, and it looked like Derby were second best, and absolutely, Birmingham deserved to be ahead of us. And then when Bielik scored, and Coach, 20 minutes beforehand, you'd said, I could see Derby equalising for Curtis Davis' bicycle kick. And I'm not going <laughs> to lie. You got, you got it, a half right. I was like... A bicycle kick, that's bollocks. Kurt Davis, possible. And then it's the other way around. And you were going Bielik bicycle as (laughs) he scored that goal. (laughs) Ran over to you, celebrated with you and jumping up and down. It was an absolutely outrageous moment. And um, what a goal. What an unbelievable finish from Bielik. And um, what incredible scenes in the Southland. I'm sat in the back of the of Cutch's Tesla right now, looking at the side of your face,
1: (laughs) and you appear to
0: have some sort of war wound above your eye. Someone punched me in the face. It was accidental. (laughs) It was an accidental punch in the face. But um, as as the goal went in, I turned around and the guy behind me, who I've been chatting to literally tried to grab me but like I think smashed me in the face. The war wound on the side of my face is gonna go down very well at the meeting I've got with a parent tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock but um, I'm gonna take that at the moment. James you, uh,
1: you weren't sat with us but you're in the east stand at Pride Park today. You got a cracking video I must say of the exact moment when Bielik scored. H- how did you take it, the atmosphere in general today from start to finish? Because it was quite unlike a lot of, it's fair to say, it wasn't the average Derby home game, was it? No, in the east
3: stand on the halfway line, there's sort of a lot of old guys. I was sitting a couple of seats away from my dad's. Um I managed to get a ticket. He's a season ticket holder. And there was a girl who wouldn't give up her seat between me and my dad because she claimed it was her lucky seat at Pride Park. And we were kind of debating about how lucky that seat might be. What with her being a Derby County fan. <laughs>
1: turns out very lucky. It turns out very
3: lucky. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I mean, it, absolutely fabulous way to end the day. Um, 70 minutes of pretty humdrum football, I thought, from the Rams, and we're probably lucky to still be in it Oh, last 20 minutes ago, go, but they just don't know when they're dead and buried, do they? They just keep going, and you can see what Rooney's instilled in them. They just believe, and, you know, they must be running on fumes, because it's a young squad. They've played a hell of a lot more games than they should, and yet they keep running till like, the 97th minute.
0: The thing I loved about this the most is the fact that Ryan Allsop came up for this. Because like it's January, we're 2-1 down in a league game. Send the goalkeeper up? Absolutely not. But actually, the, the, the mentality that Derby have got at the moment is every game is a cup game. If we get a point, brilliant. If we get no points, it doesn't matter. If we can put the goalkeeper up and we lose 3-1, who cares? If we draw 2-2 and also made, made a bit of chaos in the box and like, we had so many men over at the back post, and that therefore the ball went back across. Uh, and it, it created the havoc which uh, allowed us to score that goal today, and that, that is so important, that every single game we must take as a one-off game, and we keep battling every single game, just taking each one in isolation. And if we keep doing that, we've got every single chance of staying up at this season. So the gap now is seven, I believe, although unfortunately
1: Cardiff have, uh, have won, so they've created a little bit more daylight, between us and them, uh, but Reading's, uh, Reading's malaise continues, so we're, we're still edging closer and closer to them but, coach today you, you watch that game and there was a, a relatively solid start, but the message, the, the thing we seem to say afterwards that we felt like the occasion did get to Derby's mm. players today mm. um, there was a, a relatively solid start, but from about 20 minutes in until about 20 minutes to go Blues pretty much controlled it really, they, like Derby, didn't really put their passes together, they didn't really play in the, na- in the way that we know they can play, um, the, the, the key moments Blues managed much better than we did, uh, they, they, they scored two, they could have had four, so with all that in mind, the fight back was magnificent, don't get me wrong, but did we deserve a draw today?
2: We did pile the pressure on those last 25 minutes. And I thought, I think we all said, you know, one one brings two a bit like Reading away. You felt like if one goal went in, another one would come. And, and Birmingham were giving away so many free kicks in that second half in a way that they weren't. Everything seemed to go against Derby first half. And mostly four, apart from one major decision referee got wrong regarding the handball, which we'll come on to. But I think it's hard to know, you know, when you see them battle, and we did create other chances in that second half. Max Bird missed a glorious chance in the first half as well when he should have done better. And that summed up his day mostly. I thought Bird was very poor today. But I thought that first half was basically like where we left off against Forrest. Like against Forrest, you know, part of a little bit of a rally in the last five or ten minutes. We were very poor that second half. Forrest didn't let us play. They pressed us. We didn't seem to have an answer to that. And we started off much the same way. I think, yeah, we had a slightly bright start. Juice looked good until we kind of lost interest after getting kicked a few times. Um Clanch had a half-decent chance. Max Bird had a half-decent chance. I think would have made it 1-1. But Birmingham were better than us all over the pitch until, I thought, 75 minutes. And then Derby tried to turn the screw. And I think it was just... We chucked... Generally, I think we probably just chucked enough rubbish against the wall and then something stuck. (laughs) Because it wasn't like we were opening them up and carving them up. But the corners were racking up. The throw-ins were racking up. The free kicks were racking up. They were getting yellow cards. And you just felt... After the first goal, Luke Plange, what a goal that is, by the way. Bielek will get the headlines, but Luke Plange's goal was a glorious finish and footwork. After that went in, it kind of felt inevitable, but until you know, 95 minutes, you're not expecting that.
4: Yeah. Uh,
1: the last two games then, four goals conceded, mm. James. And uh, some people will say a large part of that is due to the lack of Phil Jagielka, who, I'll be honest, I can't really bear, bring myself to watch on a stoke shirt. It's just, it's not pleasant, is it? But... We're talking on the way here about is Stearman someone who can do a good enough job for the rest of the season to maintain that relatively solid defensive record that we have had? And look, four goals in two games. The first one today really wasn't pretty at all. The second was a pretty easy finish for Scott Hogan. And combining that with the two goals that we conceded against Forest as well, do you think we have got enough defensively with only? Basically, Stearman and Davis to pull off the unthinkable now?
3: Not as those back two. I mean, I think, you know, obviously we're seeing a lot of clean sheets. I think even Stearman even got five out of six or five out of seven when he came in. I think it's going to be slightly more chaotic for the rest of the season, but we've got to hope that having Bielik in central midfield or maybe he'll drop into defence will plug some of those gaps. But I think Stearman and Davis as a combo, we're not going to see that kind of domineering centre-back
0: pairing that we saw with Jagielka and Davis. I think I think it's interesting in the sense of look, looking at the defensive like backline of uh, Davis and Jagielka being so solid and um, I have to say I, I have looked at like Jagielka as being uh, potentially the weaker link of those two because teams seem to target him because I, he's he's 39 and you can get, get him behind but actually he reads the game so well and you notice the difference between Jagielka at 39 and Stearman at well, I don't know, 32 or 33. Jagger is a better footballer, isn't he? I mean, there's a simple fact that he's a better footballer, but he's played for England and he's, he's played at high level, uh, high level sort of teams like Everton and stuff like that. And, um, we notice a difference now. I don't necessarily think of any of the, the goals that we conceded today. Um, I've not looked, them, look, looked in the back and like, uh, on TV or anything like that, but any of the goals against Forest, we can't blame an individual, but there's something wrong in the back line. The fact that we're conceding four goals, it's not like Derby at the moment. And, um, we, we got away with that defensively, I think, and uh, I think we we're quite fortunate, and there's definitely missing a Elka and I think we'll, we'll, we'll may pay that for a long term.
3: I think we're lacking a bit of leadership down that mm-hmm. spine. I mean, you know, Bird and Thompson and Knight have done brilliantly, but, you know, without a Elker in there, it's starting to look like, yeah, it's starting to look a little bit rudderless, mm-hmm. maybe, at times. Less domineering.
2: I thought... Um I thought generally like Davis and Stearman, I thought the whole team looked very hesitant in the first half. Chris mentioned at the very start, maybe the occasion got to them, you know, a packed Pride Park, all the emotion around. They would have seen the videos and pictures of the march before the game and they would have been really pumped up for it. And I imagine the coaching staff would have maybe give them, and I think this is fair enough, give them a word of warning. Keep your heads, try and, you know, don't don't lose control, don't get too emotional. And maybe the players overcompensated that's the only kind of excuse i can say because in the first half we were missing every second ball we weren't winning any second balls we weren't winning any 50 50s and ultimately in the second half it did turn its head a little bit but i just feel like maybe the maybe the occasion did get to them because it was uh it was really bleak first half
1: yeah well look hey look let's look at the positives seven points from safety now um put aside all the off-field mess, because we have to really. Like, I'm, I'm just done with thinking about it. I just need to get it out of my headspace. And it was just, from a personal point of view, it was incredible being there today. Like, it felt as big as Brighton in 2014. It felt as big as a Forest game. It felt as big as any playoff game. It just the, the, the emotion and like the spine-tingling sense of anticipation was was incredible. <laughs> An hour in, it looked like blues had just completely spoiled the party you know but let's talk about the main contributor then um the polish prince christian Bielik. uh he came on for his first appearance first first team appearance in what every year i think since um since since his long-term injury yeah. um i thought his first few passes, he he settled in pretty well, but he didn't really commit himself that much. He didn't really stretch himself and throw himself into the 50-50s and, and put himself around the pitch as much as he used to at his peak before his injury. But you saw the little glimpses, didn't you? Like, you know, he, he would he'd, he'd spray the odd ball, like he would out the odd midfielder and he would um, sort of play the odd little reverse pass between the lines or through the gaps, like even, I felt in the 20 minutes, in his first appearance in every a year, he showed his class, I think. And it affected the rest of the team. Like, we, we, we seemed to be noticeably more confident and we seemed to get a huge lift when he came on, didn't we, coach?
2: Absolutely. And I think he also brought physicality. I agree with you, he wasn't totally throwing himself about as you, as you might have previously seen him. And I think that's completely understandable. But he, he brought, just, he, we started winning more headers in the centre of the park. Like we were losing so many balls in the middle of the park, particularly headers. Um, yeah, Bird and, and Knight and Thompson, like they, they've got a lot about them. they put themselves about. I thought Jason Knight's second half was fantastic. As I said, I thought Bird's one of, poor, one of Bird's poorer games. But he just wins stuff in the middle and he does have that class and that extra little touch and that extra bit of space, that extra bit of time he gives himself. And I, I thought he did make a big difference. I thought Kazim, Kazim didn't seem to have a huge direct impact on much, but he just his presence just seemed to lift the players around him it's really frustrating that you sometimes will think right let's
0: start with Plange and Kazim but it doesn't work when you start with them and actually Kazim Richard is so much better coming off the bench because like, it gives us a focal point and they say with like um, with Bielik, like he didn't chuck himself into there but like suddenly for the last 20 minutes like Derby looked like a proper football team and like we got the ball down and we just controlled the ball like Birmingham were doing like, just dominating the dominating possession in midfield and Derby hadn't done that in the first half and what we did in the first half was give the ball away and then Bielik came on he might have misguided a couple of passes, but they were like ambitious passes. But what he did was the simple passes. He gave he gave them with pace, and therefore we were able to move the ball quickly, get the ball out to Eberey on the left, and out to Burn on the right, and we created chances. And as a result, I think I think overall in the game we probably deserved a point. We have just about scraped it, um, and if 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 we'd have got the decision for the handball, which I was absolutely adamant about. Um, with about 75 minutes on the clock. Like, I think I think we could have even gone to win that game because I don't think Burma were any great shakes, but they did well in the first half and we didn't defend well enough against them.
2: Just very quickly, that point about the handball, was uh, I've not seen it back yet, but we've had text messages from people afterwards saying they saw it in Sky and it was definitely a handball. It's a deliberate handball, it's a red card. So not only is it a penalty, and it's hopefully a goal at 1-0, uh, 75, 2-1, 75 minutes, they're also down to 10 men. So I think Tom's right. You, you get that penalty, that decision, which we should have got, we probably do go on to win that game because we were, it was a bit like the Reading sense that eventually Birmingham just couldn't keep the press up for that long. And ultimately we piled enough pressure on them 15 minutes ago to, to, to get those two goals. Yeah, you
1: you were just I'm, just, I'm just amazed that we did pull it around because the analogy you used, Kutch, was that we got into Pride Park today as a full house, 32,000 something, something and something, an incredible crowd. And there's a lot of fans in there today who would have never been before, Yeah, um, you know, a lot of people who will be starting their relationship with Derby County as a result of the situation we're in. It was like, uh, you know, you meet your girlfriend's parents for the first time. <laughs> And then she froze up everywhere.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, we saw so many, we saw if we had lost two 0 I mean, like that's yeah. what, that's what the analogy was. And we saw so many heartwarming stories on, on people who got tickets for the first time this week, you know, from, through Derby County, in the community or through Punjabi Rams. And I know you sorted some out, Chris and, and Jake Barker sorted out a lot of tickets and, and lots of people have been very generous in their own ways. We might not have heard about all of them, but so many families would have brought young kids for the first time. And if they and I think, look, a young kid going to see 33,000 people in a stadium is going to be impressive, whatever the result. But you go, if you'd gone to that and it'd been 2-0, there might have been less onus to go and buy a ticket after the game for the next game. But you get a 95th minute equaliser, that kid is sold for life. Yeah. And there'll be so many children who will probably drag their parents and make them buy tickets for, for more home games this season as a result of that.
1: We've got to talk about the march. It was absolutely incredible wasn't it like we we've drove up all together from london and we got to uh you know we got to derby at like 11ish um had a swift one and then sort of headed over from the a6 like pride park way to um you know we were looking down from pride park way towards uh towards the, the roundabout and it was like i don't know you know it's like sort of that bit in Lord of the Rings where like, you know, the entire army emerges over the hill or (laughs) something like it was just a huge swell of people, um, way more than I ever imagined it was gonna be. Um what was your estimate of how many were there and and how did you feel when you were in the middle of it?
3: I mean, I I originally thought it'd be ten thousand, I then had my hopes quashed on the way here when some people (laughs) were saying it was a thousand kutch And then I got text messages from friends who were watching Sky who said it was like 40,000 people it was amazing and like I've lived in South London for 20 years and kind of my relationship with Derby in this last six months I don't think I've ever felt closer to the team and like seeing my dad today and people who again I used to see when I used to go to away games 10 years ago yeah it's just a sense of pride and again just showing what it means to people and that kind of closeness to the club which we've not had for a long time it's due to many factors like the, how poor we've been on the field at times and the way the club's been run, it feels like fans have kind of drifted away a little bit and if anything good comes from this awful situation, it might just be that galvanising moment where fans pull back together and that's what I
1: felt today. I was talking to one of the organisers uh, just before the game, Jimmy Gregory, who's been on the pod before from the, the Club 84 supporters group who did some great work in in pulling the march together and, uh, and, and organising banners which really helped um provide a huge visual display at the front of the march but tom it's all very well thousands turning up for a march before the game um and i don't want to get too much into the finer legal details but do you feel like it will make a difference what happened before the game
0: today i didn't think the march was going to be much to be fair and then when you were in the middle of that that was unbelievable is one of the most emotional moments I've been as a Derby fan. Like just sort of walking up the A6 towards Pride Park and then we um, the, were at the front of it with the Punjabi Rams and we turned back and we, we looked back and I was like, they're still coming. They're yeah. still they're still yeah. going. And then like we were there for five minutes and the drums were banging and everyone was like singing their songs and then the bounce started. And then we turned around and I was like, they're still coming uh, what's what the hell's going on then like, I, I I agree I I was more on Cutcher's side in terms of the numbers I was thinking maybe 1,000 2,000 fans or so but I mean I have no idea what the numbers would have been seven six seven eight thousand or something like that it was it was astronomical how how many people were there and like there were there were chants going on from the front and then there's chants from the left then chants from the right I didn't know what to sing and stuff and like and you end up just like I'm just like walking along just enjoying the atmosphere mm. and everyone being there and it was it was such a brilliant way and Chris you you said at one stage it's like we should we should go to home games like this every single time so it was a a
2: brilliant way to go to the game and i thoroughly enjoyed it regarding going to the game every home game like that obviously that's unrealistic but i think there's a a, a argument to be made that if derby do come out of this and um and we do come out the other side whether whatever division we're in but derby county continues to continues to live i mean that should be an annual Every, last weekend, last weekend of January, or last home game every January, that should be an annual because it feels like a almost yeah. feels like a rebirth yeah. of the club. That'd be an amazing thing to make, like kind of Derby's like rebirth day or whatever you want to call it. There'd be a much better thing to call it. But your original question, Chris, about you know how much difference could it make, you know that that perception in terms of cam- in terms of campaigning that I do think will be extremely valuable. You had MPs, I believe Margaret Becker, someone said Margaret Becker was at the front of it. I think is she that,
1: might have... Is that just not just a rumour that you were trying to start?
2: No, I think she was at the front. Someone told me she was at the front. The rumour I started was that she let off a flare. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I can't say if she did or did not let off a flare, but she was at the front and it was a flare at the front. But I think it will have an impact because it just shows the pressure gets piled on. The politicians are involved. The politicians see that and they see the huge... Politicians love nothing more than lots of people running behind a cause. And if they can be part of that cause, however cynical you think it might be, then they're gonna latch onto that. And the more pressure they put on the EFL, the EFL will have to listen to political pressure, whether people like it or not. It will have an impact. So I think that march will be extremely valuable to us over the next month or so. And even if the
0: march itself doesn't have an issue or a massive impact, the amount of people that were in the ground an hour before kickoff, Mm -hmm buying beers buying cokes buying pies buying hot, hot dogs and stuff like that the place just sold out at half time we couldn't we couldn't get anything at all so like that's an astronomical amount of money into the into the club the, yeah. shop yeah the club shop was like you you guys both spent money into the club shop today it? Yeah. and it was yeah. like it was it was absolutely rammed and 33,000 people being there spending money and I spent more money at, at Pride Park than I think I ever have done today than I than I would normally do so because normally we go to the pub beforehand and we get there at five to three yeah and today we were there at quarter past twelve ten past twelve and I was like buying a beer there and buying a beer here and stuff like that and that that will make a difference.
2: We can tell you've bought a beer here and there and everywhere else. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I'm pleased you can, Chris. I'm pleased you can.
2: Well, we're going
1: to talk more about the Rams in uh, just a second. Wayne Rooney. Has turned on the Everton job, would you believe it? So we're Wait. going to have a little bit of a chat about that. Uh, we might talk about Forest, but we're going to try to avoid it. And uh, don't forget, you can follow Steve Bloomer's Washing on social. We're at Steve Bloomer Pod on Twitter and Steve Bloomer's Washing on Facebook and Instagram. And while you're there, why not give us a... Um, why not check out our Patreon membership service for this season? It's uh, your chance to get an extra podcast every month from Steve Bloomer's Washing. This season we've had interviews with the likes of Colin Gibson, Igor Stimak, Curtis Davis, Jamie Ward, Mark Poom, and this month our Patreon exclusive podcast is a chat with Morton Biscard. So sign up today for loads of great content from us over at patreon.com forward slash Steve Bloomer's Washing.
5: Hi, I'm Dean Sturridge. Hi, I'm Paul Pesky-Solido.
1: Hi, I'm Curtis Davis, and you're listening to Steve
3: Bloomer's Washing.
1: So there have been a number of great initiatives which have come out of Derby's horrific situation, Um, an outpouring of generosity, creativity, productivity, and just sheer force of will to keep Derby County's plight at the top of the news agenda until we get answers, but one of those was my Derby story, which uh, saw hundreds of Rams fans describe how they fell for the club. So we've uh, shamelessly jumped on that particular content bandwagon um, (laughs) at the pub after the Forest game. we We asked supporters, why do you support Derby County? And can you describe how you'd feel if we ceased to exist? And we got
5: some really powerful and poignant answers. So I've supported Derby all my life. The reason is my dad, to be honest. He's from Derby. Um, he was in the army, so he came down to Essex. I'm born in Colchester and I've grown up in Colchester, so I've not lived in the city. For me, the whole affiliation with Derby is through family. It is my family, is what I talked to my dad about. When I was eight years old, I was the mascot at South End Away, which is obviously a local club to me, being from Essex. Um, so that, my dad didn't tell me I was going to be mascot. And then all of a sudden I had my kit on and I was walking out and it was the game, if you remember, where Martin Taylor broke his leg. So it was bittersweet in the fact that I had this proud moment. I was on the pitch with the Rams and then obviously one of my heroes broke his leg and and, and didn't play for us for a long, long time after. Um, And the other one will have to be the uh, cup game, which was semi-final away to Man United. I remember being in Old Trafford in the away stand and a lump in my throat just to see my Derby County playing at Old Trafford that I've seen on TV so many times with the likes of Beckham and the Neville's etc and and, and just the 10,000 fans we had in there it was amazing.
3: Since I was born to be honest I think uh, my dad's been a Derby fan ever since um, he's been involved in the city and been involved in the club Um, I think it's been a family affair Um, I'm here today with my uncle, my cousins friends, Um, it's come passed down through generations so um, yeah, since I was a little kid um, and I think what, what has been great over the last couple of weeks is to see how the DCFC fans have got together as a community. Um, we've shown really, you know, a good strength. You know, unity does bring strength when we all come together and we're really powerful voice together. You know, we've got so much pu- um, publicity over the last couple of weeks. If this is a pr- It sets a precedent of how we want to go um,
0: further in the season. My first game was in 1999 against Burnley in the FA Cup when we lost 1-0. Yeah. Um, but I fell in love with it and it's one of the most amazing things in the world where you can come together with 24 up to 30,000 people and you're all feeling that same passion no matter what your differences are in in walks of life, you've all got one passion and and that's Derby.
5: I managed to uh, go to school in Derby, uh, in Derby, and I uh, moved to university. And since then, I moved to London through work, and I've supported Derby ever since. A lot of my friends support, you know, the big, uh, big six, you know, United, Arsenal fans, Liverpool fans. But I have stuck so loyal to being a Derby County fan. You can't shake them off, no matter how. Much of a bad season they're having, no matter how much of a mess they're in, you cannot shake Derby off. Once you've got a love for your club, that that attachment is is unbreakable. Uh, for me, I've been a Derby County fan all
4: my life. I, I probably a lot of people who have been on this podcast have kind of said. They, they were brought into it, do you know what I mean, and that, that's definitely the same for me, my dad, my dad's dad, my dad dad, dad, dad probably was a Derby fan, uh, so I've had a season ticket for almost as long as I can remember, obviously I'm based um, around London now but I've still got a season ticket so go back when I can, go to the away games, like it's um, incredibly sad what's happened to the football club at the moment, um, I think the people that are left behind are ultimately us, the fans, um, so I used to live next door to Brian Clough growing up, uh, fortunate enough to in Darley Abbey, um, obviously knows his football goes to say say. and uh, yeah so he used to um to kind of uh look over the fence and give me tips when i was playing football in the garden and he used to say to me as about a seven or eight year old that my left foot was crap but my right foot was very good so he used to make me kick the ball into the goal my left foot over and over again to try and get me to improve my left foot so yeah look didn't work out for me because i'm currently not playing for derby county but um not, not a bad story. It means everything, doesn't it? I mean, for all of us. You only have to go to the away games, to the home games, to realise that a lot of people in Derby, they
2: live for this. My connection is really Derby born and bred, uh, and it's been with me all my life. I've lived all over the world, and it where, however I could do followed the Rams and been a source of inspiration and support. Highs and lows. What it feels to me is like feelings of community and belonging and all of those associations that you have. Just going, I just can't imagine that. And The thought of if Derby died, Derby County FC died as a club and then all of a sudden out of the ashes, Derby County AFC arrived and there
5: was... I just can't imagine supporting that entity because
2: of the associations and the passion and the meaning that all of it has gone be- before me.
3: My first ever game was August 1979, Wolves at home. I was seven. I was wearing shorts. It was boiling hot day. But I was wearing shorts. It was a night match. But by the end I was freezing. I was bored out of my school. I didn't enjoy it. It's was one all the the Wolves. But after that my dad took me, persevered and I loved it. Fell in love. For me, the last two weeks mentally, I've struggled. It's got it's hit me hard. Um, the thought of not having derbies in my life is I can't imagine it to be honest with you. It's um, honestly it's really hit me hard.
4: Um, a derby means a lot to me. Um, I wouldn't like football without derby. I don't think. Um, yeah, so I try to go to as many games as possible. And you know the times at the moment, I don't really want to think about the potential of what could happen, but. I don't really know what I'd do without Derby.
1: love going every Saturday. It's an escape from the Monday to Friday, nine to five, something to do at the weekends. If Derby went bust in two weeks, then I don't know what I'd do.
3: Hi, Derby County fans. I'm Branko Strooper, and you are listening to Steve Bloomer's washing.
1: So despite the absolute uh, trash fire that Derby County are at the moment, fellas, um, incredibly, Wayne Rooney um, admitted in his press conference before the uh, Birmingham game that he was approached for an interview at Everton, but he turned it down. From my point of view, it's just nice to have a manager who doesn't jump ship for his dream job at the first opportunity. That feels nice to me personally, but what's all your take on it? I mean, if, if you look at Everton and Derby, the cynic might say that Rooney would probably think that the Everton job might come up again, in the next six to 12 months because let's face it they're, they're not exactly a particularly stable club in terms of appointments got through a lot of managers recently I, I mean I was thinking about this myself and I, I just feel that he looks at those two teams he looks at Everton's team which is let's face it a bit of an underperforming Premier League side with some players of real talent likes of Richarlison and, and players like that players signed for a lot of money but players who might not necessarily play for him if he was there, whereas you compare his role, what it would be at Everton to how he's perceived by the players at Derby, where he's managing a team of kids, a team of of washed-up players, a team of veterans on their last payday, who just really buy into what he's trying to do, and I don't, I just feel personally, you know, he, I'm sure Rooney's got his reasons for turning it down, but I just feel that he wouldn't be able to motivate that Everton team. In the same way that he would a derby team, but coach, how did you feel when when you first heard that Rooney had turned down that that, that particular role?
2: I think first of all relief and just another relief another distraction was m- removed, because oh, we've got everything going on off the pitch and we've given ourselves on the pitch, and the, and the kind of stuff going on on the pitch is kind of keeping us going, isn't it? Because off the pitch is so bleak and so such a roller coaster, and obviously on the pitch is a roller coaster for a different reason. But Rooney's given us hope and I think it does it does kind of renew your hope a little bit in the integrity of football and and Rooney we discussed this on the pod two weeks ago but Rooney is that kind of um, f- as, a, as a player kind of a throwback to kind of a real a fan on the pitch and and kind of giving everything and and, and kind of seems to be to a degree untainted by some of the more uh, yeah cynical parts of modern day football so it's kind of nice to have that reinforced I think it's got a, a, elements of both Chris I think he is proud of the job he's doing I think he doesn't despite it being so tough I think he does enjoy the job that he's doing at Derby County but the Everton situation is a basket case of that club and he will have seen that every part of that interview process has been played out publicly from the very beginning to its end with I don't know what the latest on Lampard is today but it sounds like he's been offered the job so Rooney probably thought I don't need to put myself in this situation and at Derby County again cynical view he can't really lose in a situation, He's already won over so many critics, both inside the club and outside the club, that he, he's probably thinking, I can't lose here.
3: Yeah, completely. I was just thinking the same thing. It's a completely free hit for him. I mean, how many chances in a football career do you get to write a bit of history? So if he sees it through to the end of the season, he's on to a winner because everyone will see the loyalty. And he could write his name in the Derby County and the wider football history book as a man who's kept a team up that were an absolute basket case and dead on their knees so yeah I think he's he, he, again we've seen Rooney's probably brighter and more switched on and more astute than people give him credit for. Well he was,
1: he was already could have been a history maker Tom if he'd have pulled off keeping us up with a minus 12 deduction which I believe correct me if I'm wrong no one has ever done before but you know keeping a team up with a minus 21 deduction as we've said before in this podcast would be and we're not just saying this one of the greatest fairy tales in modern English football history. But the question I wanted to ask you was that us as Derby fans, we clearly really fell for Rooney. Yeah, we had our misgivings at the start. We didn't think he was up to it tactically. We thought it was a bit of a mess. Too many minds and, and opinions in there. But nobody at all can deny the way that he has uh, he's he's handled himself and how he squeezed every drop of endeavour and spirit out of this Derby County team this season. Rooney can really do no wrong in our books at the moment, but I look at the fact that he's turned down the Everton job. Do you think Derby County and our fan base are growing on him at the moment? Do you think Rooney is, call me romantic, but
0: he's starting to fall for us as well, and that was part of it? Rooney had a horrendous six months for Derby County from well five months from January till May last year where we we lost games and we only won like maybe one or two having had a great time with Belik being back in the team uh, from like November until like January time so that there's elements of like we're questioning Rooney's capabilities as a coach but actually I do think as you say Chris, he he loves Derby. I I generally do think like the the passion he shows of it. As you say, he's a fan on the on the pitch. He's now a fan on the sidelines. He gets emotionally involved, and it's one of those things where you go, oh, I'm actually quite enjoying this job and the challenge that I've got and what I've got in front of me. I know that I can do something about this. And even if he ends up failing, we're not going to judge that. If we end up going down, like we're not going to be calling for Rooney's head, like and um, I actually really appreciate the work that he's done. And now uh, this, this team I'm so engaged with and so like loving the fact that even today, if we'd have lost 2-0, I wasn't, I wasn't too fussed. I was like, yeah, we've put the effort in. We got it a little bit wrong today. But um, the fact that we came back to B2-2, that is testament to Rooney, a testament to the team and the mentality that he's put in. He realises he's not ready for the Everton job. And also, as you say, Everton's a massive problem. Someone needs to go in there for five or six years and, and root that club out from the bottom to the top. And I don't know if you get the chance in the Premier League these days to do that sort of thing.
1: The way that someone else put it to me, Coach, recently, was that we have got under Rooney's skin.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think so. Obviously, we've been for that whole thing of having you know behind closed doors matches. Obviously, he was first managing then, and he's gradually seen. Obviously, the crowds come back this season, and there was a moment right at the start of the game, and uh, I think we just sing, started singing, finished singing, or started singing. Steve Bloom was watching, and Rooney and Masino were on the sideline, and the camera went to Rooney, and it was actually on the big screen. I don't know. I think I tried to point it out to you boys at the time, but you might have missed it. Like you saw Rooney's reaction to the. No- it was definitely reacting to the noise, and his eyes were kind of wide. I don't know if he said something like wow or something, but I, I saw it happen and I was like, wow, he's just, he suddenly. Are you sure heard... sure he didn't say wow? Well? <laughs> <laughs> I, I might have said wow. I say, I say wow a lot. But um, it, I think un, under his under, under his skin, I think we probably were already under his skin, but I think that crowd today and that moment, both at the, at the starting whistle and the, and the 95th minute goal and, and the final whistle, I think we really did. The one thing that still surprises me about Rooney, which is the polar opposite Frank Lampard. He still doesn't he hasn't give, allowed himself to come and get carried away with like the staff stand or the away fans at a game yet. You know you don't see him doing the bounce, you don't see him do any of that stuff. You know, we all loved it when Lampard did it. It's easy to look back and think that's a bit cringeworthy. I think Rooney's just keeping it in. I think Rooney knows that there's there's more battles to come. He seriously does believe he can keep this club in the division again. And I think maybe when that happens, if that happens that's when we'll finally see him let go and really enjoy himself with the fans. Because I still think he's he's holding back, he's trying to be professional.
0: If you look at Rooney through his career, he's always been one that will say his point. England, Algeria, when he came off the pitch in the 0-0 draw, I think in the 2010 World Cup, and he was like, I'd love it if the fans like, supported him. And he got uh, pillarage for that, and I absolutely agree with that because like, he shouldn't have said something like that. But at the same time, I always appreciate Rooney as a footballer because uh, he gives his heart and soul in there, and he's done exactly that as a manager. And uh, this this Derby team embodies what I would imagine Wayne Rooney to be: fight, battle, work ethic is is all there, and that's exactly what you want as a fan. That's exactly what you want, and uh, I'm so grateful to Rooney for what he's done for the club so far this season because uh, he's done a brilliant job.
1: Look, we can't really talk about the uh, the current situation without addressing the the, the huge elephant in the Tesla. <laughs> um, which is uh, which is the administration situation the, the latest as I understand it by which I mean what I've read on Twitter is that there could be a possible appeal from Quantuma for a quick legal arbitration process in an attempt to throw out B- Middlesbrough and Wickham's claims in the next week or two weeks although no one really knows how long that process could could take. Um, I, I don't really know how to really fra- how to really frame this for, for the three of you because it's just taken so much out of me in the past couple of weeks. Like it's sort of affected my sleep and it's affected my mood and affected my work and affected my mentality. And I'm hearing so many stories of other Derby fans that that are feeling the same way, but. Where do you really see it going in the next couple of weeks? I know it's so difficult to, to forecast, but James, what's your what's your hunch on, on where the latest twist in our existence is gonna go next? It just feels like it changes
3: all the time. I mean, again, I kind of get angry with the AFL that they've let this situation take place, and then I watch content that Wickham are putting online about being a community club, and then you see what's happening to our fans, and that boils my piss. And then you sort of, and then we keep going back to the same place where just like, and we're still waiting for those guys to step aside for the takeover to take place. I mean, we all know it's Mel Morris' fault. And again, that keeps coming back to, yeah, we're pissed off with Mel Morris, but I've just got no idea how it ends at this point. Uh, And again, it's really affecting our mental health. Like each day you wake up and you sort of look at your phone first thing, you're like, oh, something terrible's happened. Oh God, it's the ongoing situation in Derby County. And you're just like, where does it end? Because at the moment, it just feels like we're in a weird death spiral that just keeps going and going and going, and it's only what Rooney and the
0: players are doing on the pitch that's kind of making it bearable. Yeah, I'm not wanting sympathy for the fact that Derby County have not done something wrong because they clearly have, and uh, Mel Morris is to blame for that, and the, the club is to blame for that for, for doing whatever they have, they have done over the the last sort of five or six years. But at the same time, as an individual and as a football fan, now like, it's been horrendous. I don't think I've googled Derby County more. I want to know what's going on, and I want to, to see what's happening, and I want to see some sort of change and some sort of progress. We're getting nothing at all from from the administrators, which I kind of get because they have got to be quiet, from the, the the bidders who are there, like Appleby, Ashley, uh, and the the Binney family. like We don't really know what's happening, like, who's going to take us over. But also from the EFL, and also from Wickham and from Middlesbrough. Like, what are Wickham and Middlesbrough doing affecting like, my life? I shouldn't even be thinking about Wickham. I shouldn't be thinking about Middlesbrough. And I
2: shouldn't be thinking about Steve Gibson in particular, but it, but I am, and that's that's a problem. I think, look, the, the one-month extension was welcome in the, in the sense that it bought us more time to sort issues out. I do worry that it, it kind of just kicks the can down the road and we have exactly the same situation at the end of February, which is an even shorter month. And we're kind of uh, begging for people to turn up again and and to put more money into the club or, or find some funding. And it worries me that we're having to borrow more money and more money to, to keep the club running because that just makes the ultimate sale price, I imagine, higher. Um, I guess the the one hope is that this time if this arbitration uh, process goes ahead and it is if it is wrapped up within say four weeks because that's the end of February and it gives uh, bidders clarity on what they're buying and what claims they may or may not be buying or whether they're football credits or not then that's the hope that maybe finally a preferred bidder can be put in place and they're, they're comfortable. I completely understand why bidders don't want to make their final offer when a potential another 45 million pounds of of liabilities are hanging over the club you'd be absolutely mad to make that offer so between the administrators borough wickham and the efl they need to either put these actually arbitrate this to see if they have any merit whatsoever or put a number on whatever the settlement will be um I'm at, by the sounds of it the administrators do genuinely believe um, and they've got, I think, three different independent legal opinions that those those cases have no merit, and that's why they're refusing to settle the claims. Is how I understand it, and that's why they, for a long time they weren't in contact with Steve, with Steve Gibson at Millsborough, with Wickham Wanderers, because they're like, we are not settling any any a single penny for this because we think these claims have no merit, and unfortunately, the way they've possibly dealt with that is what led to kind of the 11th hour earlier this month the preferred bidder announcement being pulled because the EFL suddenly realized what they were doing and didn't like it or that or weren't willing to accept it so the arbitration might clear it up there is obviously a possibility the arbitration doesn't go the way that the administrators in Derby County want and suddenly there are whether it's 45 million pounds or even 10 million pounds of claims that need to be paid as football creditors that could be the final nail in the coffin because that could be 10 million pounds too much so I do it We've bought ourselves some time. We need clarity on this situation, but Derby fans shouldn't get too complacent or too hopeful that that means it's finally going to get put away because I think there could still be another twist in this story. Yeah, I'm sure there's more to come, but we're going to leave it there for now.
1: Thank you so much for listening to us in this um, slightly oddly recorded <laughs> podcast episode where I'm basically only in pitch black. Um, but I'm just going to close it out by, by just reaffirming something that a lot of people have said which is to just try and look out for each other really because there's going to be more twists and turns there's going to be more good news more bad news in this ongoing saga and it's not going to get solved anytime soon it's going to be a long month February is depressing enough as it is for a lot of people so speak to people that care about you and do whatever it takes to take your mind off Derby County if you have to and to keep things in perspective and hopefully I'm praying just because I've said this about six times in previous podcasts we might have some clarity by the time we next speak to you but we'll be back in a couple of weeks until
0: then Tom
1: Martin thanks for your time mate thanks,
0: thanks. February's not too bad Chris it's my birthday so let's celebrate
2: that
1: Whee. <laughs> James Wendell we must do this again sometime. it's my birthday too up hey. hey. the ramps <laughs> Kutch should we drive home
2: yeah let's go yeah <laughs> alright
1: thanks for listening back.